On the 25th of January 2012, a team of United States Navy SEALs raided a compound in Somalia, killing nine Somali pirates and freeing two hostages. One of those hostages was a woman called Jessica Buchanan. And she says this at the moment of her rescue. She said, and then all of a sudden I, I feel these hands on me, roughly grabbing me, and I try to protect myself. I pull the blanket closer on top of me, and then I hear my name. But it's not in a Somali accent, it's an American accent. And I can't compute. I can't understand that somebody with an American accent knows my name. And they say, Jessica, we're here with the American military. We're here to take you home. You're safe. Would have been an amazing moment if you were Jessica Buchanan to, to hear those words and understandably confusing for her in that moment as these men come, not to hurt her, not to harm her, but to rescue her. And yet she's unsure in those first moments. Understandably, are they here to hurt or are they here to harm? We have been reading this incredible narrative of an incredible rescue, a, a surprising rescue that God has brought to his people. Powerful forces have been at work to rescue God's people. As we saw last week, he brought them through that Red Sea. But now they're wondering. They're asking the question, have they been rescued to be hurt or to be harmed? There's a saying that says, three strikes and you're out. But what we have in Exodus chapter 17 is the fourth strike. Three times Moses has recorded um, that the rescued people of God have grumbled, have complained, have whinged that he is rescuing them. And they're whinging and they're grumbling because they're not getting all that they want. In chapter 16, the previous chapter, from the one that we read this morning, we have manna being provided in the morning and meat at night. But the people of God have a problem. And the problem's there in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. If you want to open up, you'll see there in verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. You would have heard in our second reading that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Corinthian church, as he's dealing with all the problems that are going on in the Corinthian church, he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Speaking of and really commentating on what went on for the people of God in this moment as they complained. He says this, As God provided, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. 
what we have uh, in the Exodus account is this rock. But what we're told in the New Testament, as the Apostle Paul writes to Corinthians, that it's not a rock, it's Jesus. How do you get a stone into a saviour? And why is God trying to squeeze Jesus out of a rock? And better still, why is God sharing Jesus with these people when their hearts are as hard as that rock? That's what we're going to be thinking of this morning. God has rescued his people. Last week we saw him rescue them with such power, dramatic power, as he brought them through the Red Sea, victory over their enemies as the chariots of the pharaohs were washed away. And now here, moments it seems, after this rescue, which should bring thankfulness and gratitude, has only brought, well, rumbling and complaint. People of God have been freed from their chains but all they can perceive in this moment is a crisis. All they can see in this moment is disappointment. They can't see the chariots washed away. They can't see the reality of that salvation that God had so powerfully, wonderfully brought before their very own eyes. This salvation that not had been told to them, but they had experienced. They had lived. They had enjoyed. And now in this moment... It's only disappointment. And it's worse than just disappointment. The one who has rescued them becomes the accused. God is on trial. Do you not care? What I think about this morning, what is God teaching us? What is God teaching us as we look at Exodus chapter 17? Because as really crazy as it might seem, that the people of God could, such, could in such a reflexive, you know, auto, automatic moment turn their back on the God who has just rescued them. We know too that gratitude is supposed to fill our hearts. That we too as Christian people, people who have believed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, people who have been granted freedom in the gospel of his son, people who have been rescued from the bondage of sin, people who have been provided for with the hand of God time and time again. We know that grumbling can be all too familiar to us and part of our lives and in our hearts. And often it's that immediate crisis that's before us. My family, my life, my hurt can totally eclipse our thoughts. And often, perhaps openly or even subtly, we complain. We complain in our hearts, we complain with our mouths about what is God doing in our lives. And I want to ask us this morning, what is God teaching us? I want to answer that question by firstly having a look at the physical situation in verses 1 to 4, and then um, have a look at the spiritual situation that's there in verses 5 and 6. So firstly, the physical situation there in verses 1 to 4. As we saw, God's rescued his people. The betrayal of Jacob and his sons had led God's people to Egypt in the first place. They'd be kept 
as slaves for hundreds of years, but now there is this massive turn of ground, freed, freed with great wealth, you might remember from three or four weeks ago, with great wealth from Egypt through the Red Sea, provided for in the desert. And now at the end of verse 2, Moses asks this question as these people complain. He asks there in verse 2, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Previously, when the people were grumbling, God had said, I will test my people. But here the test is reversed. In verse 2, why do you put the Lord to the test? And it's not just a reversal of who's being tested. It's also an escalation there at the end of verse 4. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I supposed to do? They are almost ready to stone me. You can see the intensity. They are just about wanting to murder Moses, who has rescued them. And they take out their anger at God's representative. So that's the situation that God's people are in. But we see in verses 5 and 6 the spiritual instruction for Israel. Because here is how God responds to the people complaining to him as he's rescued. And God says to Moses, there in verse 5, go out in front of your people so they can see you. And he says, take that stick, take that, that staff. There, go out in front of the people, and that very staff that you struck the Nile with, stand before the people. And in verse 6 he says, I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. As Moses is before his people, God is before Moses, and God is surrounding this rock there at Horeb. And the word here for stand is literally the word to describe the posture of a servant. Essentially, God is saying to his people, I will stand in humility. I, I will stand in a lowly manner before you. And Moses, you must take that staff of my authority and strike that rock. And here is God with his posture of service in order to provide for his people, before his people, with his people, caring for his people, providing for them when they least deserve it. And I think here we have really a wonderful illustration of the magnitude of God's grace. Psalm 78 verse 35 reflects on these events and it says they remembered that God was their rock, but that God of the Most High was their redeemer, was their redeemer. Here the people are grumbling, complaining, angry with the God who has given them so much. 
and God could have rightfully turned and walked away, but instead he provides salvation for his people through his own humility. And I think we're reminded of a couple of things. Firstly, we're reminded of the power that God has to bring salvation, the power that God has when he works for salvation, the power that God has to care for his people in that salvation. The power of God is great. He overcame Pharaoh and the chariots and the sea. The power of God is great. And this is a wonderful reminder to us because there are moments where I think we often feel Where did God go? In the chaos of the moment, in the crisis of the day, we can be often overcome by what's immediately in front of us, by our desire, and yet so quickly forget the God who's rescued us. See, it ought not be the crisis of the day that overwhelms us. What ought to overwhelm us is the power of God that is at work for our salvation. And here there's a wonderful opportunity for God to recapture our hearts. Of all the things that swell around us, of all the things that bombard us, of the news that's so difficult to hear, of things that don't go the way we want, we want to be able to see through that. We want to be able to see God's hand, his powerful hand, upon us. And so this morning I'm inviting you to allow God to recapture your heart. Will you see that it is God who is with you, even in the midst of our complaint, of our grumbling? That rock was Christ. The Apostle Paul says. That rock was Christ. The Apostle Paul is speaking here quite wonderfully and quite dramatically as he acknowledges that it was God who was very much at work in the events of his people in the Old Testament. We too have this power at work in our lives. God provided water that day. But in the gospel of the Lord Jesus, he hasn't provided water. He's provided provided his spirit for us. He's provided the guarantee of our salvation, the down payment, the one who is with us, the one who guides us, the one who is our advocate. God is before us in the Lord Jesus. He's ahead of us as we approach often those seas that just look, that well, they look too much for us. And God is with us when those seas are parted. He's with us not just in front of us, he's with us beside us, parting those waters. God is on both sides of us and God is behind us. Imagine those words that Jessica Buchanan heard where 
those moments of rescue. Jessica, we're with the American military. We're here to take you home, you're safe. She wasn't sure for four moments how things would go. In fact, those who were rescuing them weren't sure how things would go. The rescue had begun when those men came in to the place where she was staying, but it wasn't over. What they did is they, in fact, picked her up. And she says this. She says, one of them picked me up and starts running. He runs for several minutes before he puts me down on the ground. And at one point, I think they heard something. They asked me to lie down on the ground because they were concerned that there might be someone out there. And they made a circle around me. And they lied down on top of me to protect me. And we lay like that until the helicopters came. See, those who were rescuing Jessica that day, they didn't just come into the room and leave. They came into that room and they took her out and they did everything that they could to protect and to preserve her life. They laid on top of her. She was surrounded by the bodies of those men who rescued her. Men around her. Men on top of her. Men coming to save her. That rock was Christ. And we're reminded this morning, God is surrounding his people. Wherever they go, he didn't just lead them from the front, and he didn't just protect them from behind. This is how great the gospel of the Lord Jesus is. That rock with Christ. And Christ is here for us. And Christ is here to protect us. Christ is saving us. He has saved us by his death and his resurrection. And he's here to provide and to protect by his spirit. And this is a great reminder for us. We need to be reminded that God saves us. And we need to be reminded that God protects and provides for us. And I think mums need to be reminded of this too. In frustration and fatigue, as mums often are, perhaps there's things said to kids that they dearly love that they wish they didn't say. And many of us have said things that we wish we didn't say. But that rock was Christ. And we ought to be reminded this morning that God is ahead of us. That our past, in fact, does not define us. That the gospel of the Lord Jesus takes us beyond our past. That we need to be able to say to each other that rock is Christ. Our past does not define us. And that the Lord God is providing and protecting us. Lastly, friends, we see here in this passage a great reminder of the grace that God has brought his people. Because there, as Moses struck that rock, millions and millions of litres of water came not in a stream, but in a flood of his provision and his care. Psalm 78 calls it a river that comes from that rock. And God provided that river to 
those people who wanted to murder Moses because they weren't getting what they want. We ought to ask the question, what can we learn here? I think there's something really wonderful for us to learn here. I think it's something that God wants to remind us, that he is here for our hearts, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus is about our hearts. Because the timing of this wonderful provision is important. Three chapters later, God's people will receive the Ten Commandments. But here, as God shows graciousness, as God gives his people the opposite of what they deserve, I think he's inviting their hearts to be filled with thanksgiving. I think he's inviting that their hearts be reminded of his care and of his kindness. And friends, it's a great reminder for us as well that God wants to claim our heart and that before he asks for our obedience, he gives us his graciousness. You see, we can ask the question, is God going to be gracious to me before I meet his demands? And the answer to that in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus is yes. He has wonderfully provided for us. He has given us this salvation. Now he calls us to obey him. But that obedience is an obedience out of gratitude and thanksgiving. And so finally we see this wonderful pardon of grace, this great example of God's graciousness to his people. You see there in verse 2 that Moses replies to the people's complaint, why do you put the Lord your God to the test? The word for test there in verse 2 is the word for lawsuit. God's people are essentially taking him to trial. And not only do they have a lawsuit against God, they know the verdict. They've said there in verse 3, God has done this to kill us. Later on, Moses, you see there in verses 7 and 8, names this place, Manasseh, which means place of trial, and Meribah, which means dispute. This place of accusation, this place of trial, this place should have been place of judgment. But it's a place of grace. And that's what we have in the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. The place of judgment as the Lord Jesus dies for us is in fact our place of grace. What he experienced of judgment we experience as grace. And the amazing thing is, this is not the first time that God will shower his people grace and kindness and mercy when they deserve judgment. This is not the first time and this is not the last time that God will do this for his people time and time again. Throughout the Old Testament, we see his kindness. And time and time again in our lives, we see his kindness. It's a great illustration, this passage, as to the heart of humanity. The heart of humanity wants to blame. 
And, I, and sometimes that blame is directed to others as it was to Moses, but ultimately I think that blame is directed to God. And throughout the centuries, humanity has blamed God as he's provided richly. And yet, this crime which is so severe, this penalty has not been brought upon us. The Lord Jesus has come for us. In the Gospel of the Lord Jesus, he is the one that experienced disgrace, poverty, weakness, shame and death. As one who was betrayed, as one who was isolated, as one who was abandoned, the Lord Jesus did this for us. And it was not us who was rejected. It was not us who died. It was him. And just as we rejected him, he gave to us nothing that we deserved. And in his death, and in that expression of his mercy to us, we see his power. God's people that day, as those streams of water came from that rock, saw his power. And we too, as we look at the Lord Jesus and his death for us, we see the gift that we don't deserve. We see what we were given when we ought to have occurred in his judgment. We see his power. We see his provision. We see his grace on the on the cross. He has cut us away from the bondage of our past. He has provided what we needed before we could obey him. And even when we fail to obey him, he is ahead of us. He is ahead of us. He is beside us. And he is behind us. And he is a God who redeems the broken heart. He's a he's God who redeems the sinner in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's one who provides for us in each and every way. Amen. Let us stand and sing.